Well, a very good evening to you all. Um, it is wonderful to be here. Um, we're, as Tim just said, we're preaching through our September series of our Get Values. So we've got Get Connected, Get Involved, Get Giving and Get Out There. Uh, and it's my privilege as the community pastor here at St. Dionys to be preaching on the Get Out There, uh, something that I am so very passionate about. So it is an honour to be here and I'd like to honour you, Tim, as a friend, but also as a great teacher of the Word. We are so blessed here at this church, so thank you for allowing me the opportunity to take the platform, platform one last time here for 2018 anyway. Um, to bring some challenge today around the commission to get out there. Firstly, I'd like to, before we open the word, uh, I'd just like to pray. So, Father, I just commit all to you this evening. I ask that you speak through me, Spirit, stir us up, be with us as we come together to be encouraged around your word. Uh, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So before we open up the word, I'd like to tell you about a book that I was given by my wonderful mum when I was 18. It was called In His Steps, and it was pu first published in 1896, written by a man named Charles Sheldon. The novel begins on a Friday morning when a man out of work appears at the front door of Reverend Henry Maxwell, the pastor of First Church of the City of Raymond. Whilst he is trying to finish his sermon prep for the coming Sunday, Maxwell listens to the man's helpless plea before brushing him away and closing the door. But this same man reappears, this time in church at the end of a, a Sunday sermon. He walks up to the pulpit, and as I'm telling this story, I just want you to envision in your head how this would feel if this happened here at our church. The man walks up to the pulpit, faces the people, and begins confronting the congregation about their compassion, or apathetic lack thereof, for the jobless like himself around Raymond. Upon a finishing his address to the congregation, he collapses and dies just a few days later. Reverend Maxwell, deeply moved by this event and reflecting upon the role that he may have uh, been able to play in preventing the, the death of the man, uh, challenges his congregation, those who are willing to not do anything for a whole year without first asking what would Jesus do? And this challenge becomes the theme of the novel. Now, it follows stories of individual characters whose lives are transformed by this challenge. The senior editor of the local paper, a talented young singer, the director of a railroads department, an heiress. All upon asking what would Jesus do must consider whether they are indeed willing to follow their conclusion, no matter the personal cost. Now, as a young 18-year-old, um, I was really impacted by these stories, and it, uh, the Spirit just set a fire inside of me for living for Jesus. And I grew up in a generation that's so caught up in concepts of identity and purpose. I was so thankful as a young woman 
that I didn't need to find myself as such, that not only do I have the Bible to direct me, but this novel really impacted me because I didn't need to find myself. I knew I was found in Jesus, am found in Jesus. It was so clear to me what I was therefore made for and what all of us who call ourselves followers of Christ are made for, and that is the Great Commission. So if we could please open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It's also up on the screen. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority has in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now in John chapter 3, verses 3, th- sorry, John chapter 3, verse 35, it says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. So what we know from this is when Jesus is saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it's, it's absolute sovereign authority. Lordship over all has been handed to Christ. Jesus goes on, therefore, so on the basis of this authority, go. Jesus is saying, get out there. Make disciples of all nations. The sweeping scope of their commission, you see, corresponds with his unlimited authority and also fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So here we see he affirms the Trinitarian t- Trinitarianism strongly which we heard about in Lydia's preach on getting involved a few weeks back. You see, we're made for union church, for community. We're made in the image of our three-in-one God. Jesus goes on, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, this kind of evangelism calls for not... It doesn't end merely with a conversion of the unbeliever. It's teaching people to observe the way of Jesus, both in their individual lives, which we see in chapters 5 and 7 of Matthew, and in their church communities, which is focused on in chapter 18. And I love how the Great Commission ends, just as it started in Matthew 1, chapter 23, when we have born to us a child called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus says in verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, as a young 18-year-old, knowing that I needed to go, get out there, how do I live for Jesus and reading this great commission, it, it leaves the question sometimes of how, but what does that mean, how? Um, I love reading the book of James. And in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17 and verse 26, it says, also up on the screen, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, 
so faith without deeds is dead. You see, what I learnt as a young woman was that belief in Jesus was not enough. Faith requires action. It requires us to love, to accept, to seek justice, to share Jesus with others. You see, church, just as a fruit tree has not arrived at its goal until it bears fruit, faith has not reached its end until it demonstrates itself in a righteous life either. The church I decided to go to as an 18-year-old, having decided to, after not going to church at all as uh, a teenager, I finished high school and decided I wanted to go to church uh, myself, take myself along. And I ended up in a local church in my home city. And their mission was Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, which we also see in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I was looking for a church that was doing something in the community. And this p piece of scripture, just I seem to connect with it as if it was anointing me personally. I wonder if you have a scripture that really sets you on fire, really stirs you up for what he has called you to do within his kingdom, what his purpose for you is here on this earth. The second week I went along to this church, the sermon was on Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. Our worship pastor at the time then led us in a song of response. Send me to the nations to be an ambassador for you. And I was in I was in tears. God was calling me and out I went for prayer. You know, the global senior pastor of Hillsong Church, um, Brian Houston, he says, God anoints you, but not just for you. God anoints you for something bigger than you. And that's so true, isn't it? When I was praying, here I am, send me, it wasn't that I wanted to travel the world for selfish ambition, although I love travel and adventure, but I really wanted to just teach people about the life and freedom that Jesus gives us. For me, my best training ground started at university, building the muscle of starting conversation about Jesus. Um, and it was just by having conversations with my friends I was studying with about their faith. One of my friends, Nina, had a brother who at the time um, was drug dependent and we would pray for him. Nina went to a Catholic church and I was just able to share about um, the joy and the love that I experienced at, at my Christian church. And, and she came along, she, she asked if she could come along and loved the style of service. Um, and it was great. She's, she stayed there, she met her husband there, they have a couple of kids but what I love more about that story is that her brother, Xander, is now one of my best friends back in Australia. Um, he 
was worried about his sister. They didn't have the greatest relationship, but he thought she joined a cult. And as she started coming along to our church, uh, and he's given me permission to tell this story, um, he started coming along and he said he was so scared to walk in the building the first time. He smoked so much marijuana uh, because he was so nervous about coming. And he came into the building and he said he just encountered the love and the peace of God. He just knew that there was something about the people. They were, we were hugging him. There were people giving him high fives. I could see he was high. I'll never forget the day I met him. Um, Xander, if you're listening, your picture is now up on the screen. This is a photo of Xander now on his wedding day, married to the beautiful Nanette. As you can see, he's got a big bushy beard, tattoos up and down his arms, a ring through his lip that does not disqualify him from the love of God. Um, and praise Jesus, uh, Xander saw what was happening in that church and decided, actually, I want something that they've got. It's really the ultimate compliment, isn't it? That someone says, I'll have what they're having. And um, so Xander kept coming along with the intention of trying to get Nina out of the church and get ended up giving his life to Christ and now serves as a young adults pastor back in Australia. Amen? Hallelujah. Such a great story. At the time I started going back to church as a young 18-year-old, I was hoping God might send me to the tiny nation of Timor-Leste, a small developing country above Australia that had one of the 10 lowest GDP in the world. In Timor, we set about building relationships between our home city and their village of Vikeki. We estab established a Uma Mount Alin, which means friendship house, and we evaluated the, the needs of the hospitals, the schools, the community. We built a library and has since trained many teachers. God really answered my prayer when he said, send me. Um, he did send me where my heart desired, but he also later sent me to Myanmar, or previously known as Burma, with my church to help run a church planters conference. I worked with the youth leaders who travelled from all over the country to the capital to be equipped um, on activities and games and faith. Um, but never in my wildest dreams when I prayed that he'd send me to the nations did I ever think that he'd send me to England. <laughs> He's got a sense of humour, doesn't he? I always wanted to go where it was warm. <laughs> but through living here, he's given me experiences of sharing my faith in Jesus in so many ways I could never have imagined. In the Muslim country of Oman, I was there to nanny for an English family, but ended up um, one night at an interfaith dinner trying to bridge relations between people with Islamic and Christian beliefs. We read text from each other's books and were able to ask each other questions. And I'll never forget the look on one man's face that asked if he could borrow my Bible at the end of the evening. He asked me where he should begin. I pointed him to the Gospels and he was just so excited. He said he's always wanted to read this and I've never been so glad not to get a Bible back. I've also had the privilege of working with the refugees in the jungle camp in Calais. I went with my last church to pick up rubbish and help with waste management. And we did with this with the hope of, of sharing the hope of Jesus in, a life, in lives full of hopelessness. It was bleak, 
But you know what? We made friends there. We played rounders with them. We got them to laugh and we were able to share of the love and freedom of Jesus Christ. I also um, have been given the privilege of being within the private quarters of Kensington Palace working for Prince Harry's private secretary. And I was able to share uh, about my faith with both adults and children, which was a huge privilege. And speak into um, what the prince's, I guess, calendar was in terms of the charities he was involved in, uh, which was incredible. Um, that really taught me that really you don't need, it's not about your job title. I, I was babysitter there, um, but I was given influence far greater than my title. And nor did I expect to become part of the staff team at this church. Now, guys, please bear my heart on this. This is not to display all that I've done. Hear me. It's more that I stand here humbled that he chose to use little old me like this. Sent me to the ends of the earth. See, it's about our attitude of being willing that counts. Everybody's journey will be so different. But what is the same, what will be the same, is the fact that getting out there requires stepping out of our comfort zones. You know, if we turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 4, again, it's on the screen. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he being Jesus, eating with his disciples, he gave them this commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. You see that? The upper room was an incubator, but they were never intended to stay there. Just imagine if the disciples had stayed in that upper room after the day of Pentecost, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, but keeping the gospel to themselves. We wouldn't have a church today. You know, in fear that the officials of the officials, they were hiding for such good reason. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, in Acts chapter 2, we read about it. He blows their cover. You see, church, we must have a Holy Spirit-led strategic mission mindset. The idea is not to go where people can't find you. We're called to make disciples of all nations. It's really the opposite to the way culture tells us to live today. You know, if we discover a winning formula, we're told to keep it a secret. Advance yourself. Contain it for your own purposes. But this is the opposite. Jesus wants us to share him, to break free from the upper room mentality. Getting out there means living out our relationship with Jesus outside of the church building, outside of just Sundays. It's loving him and loving others. Church, do you know anyone in need right now? Are you prepared to ask Jesus to break your heart for what breaks his? Are you the Christian in your workplace that nobody, nobody knows about? The one that when asked what you did for your weekend, you tell them what you did on the Saturday and they have no idea you come here on a Sunday. Is it on your Tinder profile that your faith is of central importance to how you live your life? You see, we sit here sometimes not willing to let someone we don't know, potentially a visitor, sit next to us in the chair we've saved for our friend because that might feel uncomfortable. 
But is that living out Jesus' commission for us to get out there? For me, it means things like talking to Tommy. He's an old man that um, hobbles up the New King's Road. Um, and being in a hurry, as I always am, I'm always uh, going from home to work in a real hurry. And uh, I've seen Tommy many a times, but I felt this one day in my spirit to just stop, slow down and talk to him, ask him what his name was. And, and I learned a bit about his story. His wife left him when his children were babies. He had to keep working and everyone told him to get a nanny, but he, he didn't want to. He wanted to bring up his own children. It, and he tells me his son lives just outside of London now and that he's a born-again Christian. Isn't that amazing? He's got his own child. But I wonder how many times he prays that people in his dad's community would make conversation with him. Notice him, invite him to church, but not just that, invite him to fellowship, invite him home, feed him, show him value, that he's not a convenience, taking his half an hour to walk 500 metres up the road. You know, it might mean offering to pray for your housemates who don't believe in God, but are struggling with something. What does it mean here for us at St. Dee's? Well, staying out of the upper room requires a compelling vision. And it frequently needs to be revisited. I truly believe that. A challenge I leave with Tim and Lydia. Um, earlier this year, I went to a conference in Peterborough. Um, and it was called Hope of the World. It was put on by Willow Creek. It was a leading for missions conference. I absolutely loved it. Um, my favourite part was listening to a pastor called Jeff Lockyer, who was from Southridge Community Church in the Niagara region in Canada. He challenged us with this. If your church disappeared, would anyone notice? It's a good challenge, isn't it? I'll just leave that to sink in for a while. Mull over that in your spirit. I'd like to think in this community they would notice. But are we making that real? Can I share something that might offend you? If I wasn't employed here as a staff member after my first three months here, you know what? I wouldn't have stayed. It's hard to hear, isn't it? I was, was very kindly invited um, to one of our family's place for Christmas, but they arrived at the same time I did, only three months earlier. Um, and I just wondered, you know, I own this offence too. I had to get out of my own upper room. I was comfortable with my friends from my old church. I didn't connect as quickly as I should have. And I'm so glad, you know what, I'm so glad that I did today. I love this church. I love this community. If you're a visitor here today, we have wonderful people in this room and know that you are so welcome to be a part of our family. We've got so much better. But I'm, I wasn't worried about me. I am not the point of this story. The point is the stranger that comes in, the visitor that comes that's just lonely and looking for someone that might notice them. You see, the gospel comes with a house key. Who's your house open to? 
It means not just inviting people to Alpha, but inviting your cranky old neighbour over for dinner. And when she says no, taking the meal around to her anyway. Here at St Dee's, we're encouraging partnerships with Regenerate Rise, the partner-based organisation running events for the elderly. You know, who could you go there and love on? Invite to church. What would Jesus do? We're also opening our church doors to the homeless before the mission hall doors open to feed the glass door clientele on a Tuesday evening. Will you come along at seven o'clock and just chat? Will you move into areas of need? We're looking to partner with local real estate agents so that we're the first in the community to know about any places that are for rent or sale within Sullivan or Fulham Court. Are you committed to living within the area of need and opening your door that way? You know, being seen is not always comfortable. But let's break it down into some maths. We get an average of 80 people here at our evening service. If we wanted to expand our reach, take, I challenge you to take out one person you don't already know, a new person, out for coffee just once a quarter over the next year. That's one coffee every three months, four coffees a year. Can you do that? If half of those people connect into this church because of your friendship and follow-up, so just 50%, we'd not only double our service, we'd triple it. We'd go from 80 people to 240 people. We'd be able to look at planting a new service or even a new church in just one year with you personally only doing four coffees. Amazing. As I come into land, I'll just ask the music team to come back up, please. And as I do that, um, isn't Connor doing an amazing job leading? Yeah. Uh, his mum, Kate, has written a book called The Gift of Blessing. Uh, there's a page called Invited to the Party. God's attitude to us is the opposite of rejection. She says he personally invites us to the greatest party ever given. Yet too often we act like the older brother in Jesus' story of the two sons, refusing to join the party. The father begs his older son to come in, but the story ends without resolution. It leaves the question open, will we join the celebration? It's, the story's in Luke 15. Let me read verses 28 and 31. It says the older brother refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, son, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You see, in that culture, it would have been a shocking loss of dignity for a father to plead with his son. Our God was willing to lay down the dignity and power of heaven to make himself as small and vulnerable as a baby to plead with us to join his eternal party. So how will we respond to him this evening? God says to us, everything I have is yours. Come, follow me. And in that invitation, are we also willing to then go, get out there? Are we willing to invite others to our party?
You see, church, we have a world in need of the love and mercy of Jesus, a harvest in need of tendering, and a church around the world that needs to be more awake than ever. Jesus is championing us on. Stand tall, St. D's. Stand tall and bend low. We need to reach out a hand to those who need it. We need to allow the integrity of his spirit to lead us because someone needs to weep with those who are weeping. We need to be fully awake. This precious world does not need a church asleep at the wheel, sounding like she is awake, but with rhetoric full of dogma that is dangerous instead of life-giving. No, she needs a church that is alive, vibrant, relevant, and standing tall alongside society. A church with her hand to the plough, her eyes on the ripening field, and an ear attentive to God's direction. Are we willing to be that, St. Dionys? And are you willing to get out of your comfort zone to do something that hurts? It's called sacrifice. I finish with this thought. Pete Gregg in his book, Dirty Glory, says, The name above every other name recklessly risked it all for the sake of love. Jesus chose to plant his glory in the dirt. And you know what, church? That was his sacrifice. And that dirt was us. And it's also them, the souls outside of this building. Our challenge? Are we creating churchgoers here at St. D's? Or fully devoted lives to extending the love of Christ? Which vision did Jesus hang on the cross? and die for. Thank you.